This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. Good evening, welcome to the program. My name is Spumele Lezondi, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on 9625kHz, that is on the 31 meter band if you're in Southern Africa. You can also stream us on channelafrica.co.za. I'm with Onel Nzinzi, Wisani Matebula and Musibudi Makura this hour. Your top stories. Cameroon's president says he has successfully pushed the militant group Boko Haram beyond Cameroon's borders as he seeks re-election. The case against a Ugandan MP and more than 30 others are put on hold for another two months. In economics, the United States and Canada reach a last-minute deal on revising the North American Free Trade Agreement. And in sports, Asamoa Gyan called to the Ghana squad for their upcoming 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers against Sierra Leone. On Nzinzi has a news first. Thank you for Police in Somalia say a European Union armored convoy has been attacked by silence using a suicide car bomb in Mogadishu as it was passing the defense ministry. Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for the attack. The head of the ambulance service says four civilians were killed and two injured. Eritrea's foreign minister has called for sanctions against his country to be lifted as a result of the peace deal with Ethiopia. Also demanding compensation for the economic hardship, Usman Mohamed Saleh says the sanctions imposed on Eritrea for the last nine years have entailed considerable economic damage to the country and unnecessary hardships on its people. Two months after the peace deal was signed, the United Nations Security Council has not moved to lift the arms embargo and targeted sanctions imposed on Eritrea in 2009 for its alleged support to armed groups in Somalia, which Azmara denies. South Sudanese President Salva Kiir has ordered the release of four prisoners of war and political detainees. The move is part of a peace agreement signed last month with the rebel leader Riek Machar. Welcoming the release of the detainees and prisoners of war, Riek Machar's military spokesperson Gabriel Paul Lam expressed his happiness. James Shimanyula has more. President Salva Kiir's order for the release of political detainees and prisoners of war conforms with the clauses of the new peace agreement that he signed with the rebel leader, Riek Machar. In this context, he directed the chief of the defense forces to release the detainees and the prisoners of war under the supervision of the International Red Cross. The release of the detainees and political prisoners is one of the steps that opposition leaders and rebel leader Riek Machar have been waiting for since the new agreement was signed. United Nations Relief Agency says about 190,000 people are in urgent need of humanitarian assistance in Indonesia's quake and tsunami battered region of Sulawesi. 
The UN says the figure includes around 46,000 children and 14,000 elderly people, many beyond urban areas that are the focus of government recovery efforts. Central Sulawesi was devastated by Friday's earthquake and tsunami. More than 100 people are confirmed dead, but the figure is expected to rise. And lastly, U.S. First Lady Melanie Trump is heading to Africa, aiming to make child well-being the focus of her five-day four-country tour. Departing on Monday, Trump opens her first-ever visit to Africa on Tuesday in Ghana in the west, followed by stops in Malawi in the south, Kenya in the east, and Egypt in the north. Her first extended turn on the world stage outside the shadow of President Donald Trump could still be complicated by her husband, who has spoken of the continent in impolite and even vulgar terms. Channel African News, I'm Onilinsinzi. It is 17.05 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Thank you very much, Onele, for the news update. Let's start in Cameroon, where President Paul Bia has said he has successfully pushed the militant group Boko Haram beyond Cameroon's borders and urgently needs to be re-elected on the October 7 presidential poll so he can rebuild what was destroyed. Bia was in the northern town of Marua in one of his outings from his presidential palace to launch his campaigns for the presidential election. Mokikinzeka is in Marua. Women dressed in President Paul Bia's Cameroon People's Democratic Movement CPDM party attire sing Saturday to welcome Paul Bia to Marua. They are assuring Bia that they will vote for him to lead Cameroon in a new seven-year mandate beginning October 7. More than 30,000 people ferried by the CPDM party from all over northern Cameroon are present in Marwa. Bia's campaign photos can be seen everywhere in the town. Paul Bia tells them he has come to give his assurances of his love for the people of northern Cameroon. Si j'ai choisi de venir en campagne chez vous à Marwa, c'est pour vous dire he says he has decided to visit Marua as a sign of the high esteem he has for the people of Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria and because he wants to inform them of the new opportunities he will offer when re-elected. He says he cherishes the people of far north Cameroon because they resisted the destruction, burning and killing by the barbaric group Boko Haram and now now that terrorism has been defeated, it is time to create conditions for a return to normal economic, administrative and social life. Paul Bia said he will improve agriculture, start the exploration of what he said was the rich natural resources of the region and build a rail line to link North Cameroon and Chad to spur economic activity now that peace has returned and Boko Haram has been defeated. As Bia and his crowd of over 30,000 met at the Lamido Yaya Dairu Municipal Stadium, 
About 200 supporters of opposition candidate Maurice Kamto of the Cameroon Renaissance Movement Party CRM campaigned on the outskirts of Marwa. Yimgo Mohamedou, who leads the campaign rally, says Paul Bia was deceiving the masses. He says Bia has been responsible for the underdevelopment of Cameroon. He accuses Bia of not being sensitive to the needs of his people and hardly visits them. Ils ont assez distrait le peuple camerounais. Nous avons besoin de revenir sur ce qui. He says Bia has distracted Cameroonians for 36 years and it is high time the people are told the truth and made to understand that Bia has not provided an enabling environment for their education, has not provided basic needs such as water and does not pay civil servants well. He says Bia should be truthful to himself and acknowledge that Cameroon is in a pitiful state. Paul Bia, who is likely to win at the polls, has not announced that he will visit other regions of the country where there is or has been unrest. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzika in Yaoundé, Cameroon. It is 17.09 Central African time. Remember that you can be a part of our conversation by finding us on Twitter on Channel Africa One. It is Channel Africa One, or you can send emails to info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, the case in which uh, Kiadondo East MP Bobby Wine and more than 30 others are accused of treason has been put on hold for another two months. When the suspects appeared for mention of their case, the magistrate Yusuf Ndiwalana went on to adjourn the case until December 3 at the request of the state prosecutor. His team wanted more than more time rather, for investigations. Prior to this, all the suspects were charged with treason after being implicated in the chaotic episodes that were a lead-up to the August 15 Arua Municipality elections, including the attack on the president's convoy. Our correspondent, Cassius Mbenge, joins us on the line from Kampala. Hello, and thank you very much for joining us, Cassius. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, Cassius, tell us about what happened in court today. Well, uh, at the Gulu uh, Magistrate Court, uh, they appeared, uh, and uh, what happened there is that um, the suspects... Uh, uh, the case could not be heard when the prosecution said that uh, they were not ready and asked for more time for the investigation to get complete. Now, some of the suspects uh, couldn't make it and they were represented by their sororities, uh, put up a, a, a strong case too. Uh, also, uh, there was, uh, uh, say, go, the, 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 the um, uh, there was uh, this, uh, the, it was a driver of a tractor and um, and uh, and the Bobby Wine's bodyguard who were arrested later who tried to uh, make bail but uh, they failed and uh, were taken back to the central Gulu prison where the conditions are very hard being an upcountry uh, jail. So uh, this is what happened there. Uh, notably also uh, the, w- w- among the uh, honorables, Karuhanga didn't show up, his sorority represented him. Well, uh, this uh, uh, shows uh, what kind of uh, administration of uh, justice 
therefore, that we have here. Mm. Uh, you can see how slow it is. Uh, this is painfully slow, tortuous, and uh, you can uh, you can uh, guess how their families and even themselves must be uh, uh, must be uh, uh, feeling. And it also uh, uh, puts uh, mm. a lot of uh, question, a big question mark, I can say, on the office of the director of public prosecution, because when such charges come, he is the gateman who allows what goes in or out. Now, once a file is complete, then uh, it's taken to the court. Now, to hear the prosecutors in court claiming that it's not ready, uh, then just uh, start asking what kind of competencies we have there. Mm. Uh, this is the place where even a case can be killed, therefore. So uh, this right. is what is happening right now with this case. Mm. Um, we also were reading earlier that um, uh, there were some suspects who did not appear in court because of ill health. Um, uh, do you know anything about this? Uh, what's wrong with the suspects? The suspects? Can you repeat that? The suspects that did not appear because of ill health, because they're not feeling well. Um, uh, do you know anything about this? Oh, yes. Honorable uh, key of Mitiana still... Uh, undergoing medical treatment in India after he was uh, controversially uh, let go. You remember, for him, uh, he, 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 he was uh, just dumped at the police station after the August 13th uh, saga. And uh, when the police showed up at the hospital, they claimed that he escaped. He is still in India. Zakir came back. Uh, you remember what happened on arrival at Entebbe. Uh, there was heavy deployment. He was just uh, snatched out of the plane and taken straight to his home, uh, where he was waiting, where he was received by a mammoth rally. So uh, uh, those who didn't appear for one reason or another, maybe the case case is held. Karuhanga, uh, Karuhanga's case, uh, I think, is also feeling. And you remember these people were brutally tortured, and their bail condition is held. And the government was more interested in keeping them down there so that uh, they can uh, uh, suffer the consequences, psychological or, 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 or physical. Because the conditions in jail are not easy, especially at a regional, uh, a regional uh, detention facility like in Gulu. It's not like in Luzira here uh, in Kampala, uh, where the services are a bit different. Uh, mm. That must be basically what stops them from going there. Uh, maybe uh, also... Uh, it's because uh, they, 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 I, I want to believe that they are, they are, stretching, they are, they are trying to delay this thing uh, because their case is also weak. Although a small bachelor uh, concurs with them that they need enough time because he wanted the president's vehicle that was stoned, uh, which is the foundation of the prosecution's case because this is the reason why they are facing prison trial. They are trying to equated to attempted uh, assassination or something like that. But now, uh, the defense lawyer says, okay, they can go and thoroughly uh, conduct the investigation, but they should not forget to bring the vehicle uh, that, that, that is the pillar of this case. Uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the case is now majorly on uh, the vehicle, which by extension is what is called an attempted 
assassination. But you, you will also remember that in Arua, in August 13th, uh, in, in uh, Pacific Car Park, uh, Pacific Hotel Car Park, Bobby White's driver was assassinated, and we don't hear of this case at all. Uh, there was a murder there by uh, people uh, who are suspected to be uh, presidential special, uh, the elite guard, of, uh, the president's elite guard, the pre- pre- Republican guard. Uh, um, and uh, uh, so, so, so you can see what's mm. around in this case. There is a lot of politics here, a yes. lot of stuff going on, and justice delayed is justice denied. Uh, Mike Sibika, who is the director of, of, of prosecution here, is also in, on trial in this case. Everybody yes. is on trial here, as you are watching this case very closely. Yeah, um, Akechus, you also um, mentioned briefly um, legislator Francis Zake, who did not appear in court. Um, and in September, we do know that he refused to sign the charge sheets um, of uh, tre- um, of treason and pretty much said that um, he will not be appearing um, as he is needed to appear in courts because he feels that these charges are made up. Can he do that? Can he decide? Um, he's not allowed. Uh, I mean, he's, he's choosing not to appear in court when he's needed in court because he did not sign the um, the charge sheet. In, uh, in Uganda, administration of justice here is such that, but they have a good lawyer. It's such that it is slow and very expensive. Imagine uh, this court is sitting. It's a magistrate's court, and uh, cases like this will have to go all the way up there for conclusion. But now you look at it uh, this way: you you, you have. Uh, uh, they, 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 you see, they have a good lawyer, Asmani Basarero. I don't think it will be wise for him to tell them not to appear in court because clearly the prosecution has a weak case on this one. Take it or leave it from me. You can see uh, they can't even, they don't want even to mention the, presi- the presidential car, which is the, the basis of all this case. Actually, there was a rumor uh, around that uh, it could have been photoshopped. And even the past year, law students will tell you that in, in, that when they're studying the law of evidence, surely, if you're talking about uh, the, 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 that vehicle, and then where is it? You see, if you're, if you're saying somebody was killed, where's the dead body? This is how courts operate. All right, thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. That's our correspondent, Kesha Sempenge, joining us on the line from Kampala in Uganda. <laughs> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. 1719 Central African time. Now the Democratic Republic of Congo's government has decided a 6% increase on the price of petrol and other fuel-related products. Their decision is not welcome in the country where most of the people are facing poverty and can't afford an increase they describe as a way of worsening their already serious situation. Jean-Noël Bamwenze is in Kinshasa. The 60% increase is to be applied on the price of petrol and any other fuel-related products all over the Democratic Republic of Congo, according to this country's authorities. 
And indeed, the DRC Ministry of National Economy has confirmed the price increase through a communique it released on weekend, giving more details on the new prices to be applied according to the different areas of this country. Here in Kinshasa and in the whole Western DRC, a petrol liter goes from 1,980 Congolese francs to 2,110 Congolese francs, while a gas oil liter comes now to 2,100 Congolese francs. One petrol liter is now 1,790 Congolese francs in the east where the gas oil costs 1,800 Congolese francs as from now, while in this country's south a petrol liter comes now to 1,750 Congolese francs and 1,740 Congolese francs for a liter of gas oil. This means that a petrol liter costs between 1.16 and 1.40 US dollar here in the Democratic Democratic Republic of Congo, authorities here believe this is better than countries such as Cameroon where the price is 1.55 US dollar, Congo Brazzaville where a liter costs 1.50 US dollar, Angola 2 US dollars a liter and finally 2.10 US dollars in Central African Republic. Different parameters have been taken into consideration for authorities here to decide the new increase. That's indeed what the Minister of National Economy, Joseph Kapika, explains here. There are three parameters, including the border average price and the barrel that has increased over the world. We continue dealing under the rate exchange to avoid hard times for the state and population. There is also the consumption volume. All those parameters have moved and obliged us to adjust the price. This is not the way population here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and especially here in the country's capital city, Kinshasa, understand the increase. Most of those we spoke to about the issue have described the government decision to increase the price of petrol and other related products as a way of worsening the poverty situation people are facing here. Some of them believe the situation is becoming very hard and they won't be able to afford an increase on the public transport price since this must have an impact on their daily transports. And according to this lady who's a civil servant here in Kinshasa and who didn't want to be named, the only event people are waiting for is now elections as they believe it's the only way to help kick the current regime out. This is just to let people suffering. I receive 15,000 Congolese francs from my work for transport, but per month I spend 72,000 using the bus. How are we going to live in this country? Authorities are selfish and we just need to go for elections so that we can punish them. Public transport has always been very hard here in the Democratic Republic of Congo's capital city, Kinshasa, but people are now afraid this will be worse due to the new increase on the petrol price. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
It is 1723 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, Africa's most populous country, Nigeria, today marks its 58th anniversary of independence. Addressing the nation on this very important occasion, President Muhammadu Buhari said today is a day of celebration and solemn reflection. In celebration of the independence, the Female Artists Association of Nigeria, in collaboration with the Nigerian Consulate, in South Africa is holding an art exhibition themed Nigeria at 58. The journey so far in Pretoria. Chinze Ojobo, president of the association, paid a visit to our studios earlier today. The painter said that reflection is crucial for Nigerians to build and move on the nation forward. First of all, as an artist, reflection. You have to reflect how far have we gone. Um, the exhibition we came here to do, we called it Nigeria 58, the journey so far. So what have we uh, been able to do? What have we, it's like, what are our milestones? Have we been able to achieve anything? What have we done so far? Have we met with our plans? What is the country like? Where are we going to? What are our plans? What legacies are we leaving for our children? What is happening, you know, in the state, in economically... You know, generally what is happening in the country. So it's a time for reflection. It's not really a time to, you know, to rejoice. Mm -hmm. It's time to see how far we've gone. So basically, that's Mm -hmm. what we're doing. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting because Mm -hmm. even the president in addressing the nation, he touched on reflection that today Mm -hmm. is a time to reflect. Why is it important for Nigerians to reflect on where you come from as a country? And in this process of reflection, what comes to mind? What, as an artist, what's your general feeling about the nation? Generally, why it's necessary to reflect is that we've worked so hard. We've come, I mean, since 1960, we've gone through a lot. Nigeria has gone through a lot, went through the military, mm-hmm. went through the, you know, went the pol- political, democratic era. And um, there's a lot going on now, you know, different parties, different things mm-hmm. happening at the same time, so many activities. So it's time we have to reflect as a country, sit down and know the way forward, how we can, you know, fix some things. So many things needs fixing. And we need to move on. We mm. need to go forward. We need to make progress. So where we are now, where are we going to? What are we going to do? How do we get there? Mm. These are things we have to work on. So as an artist, mm. we were talking about multiple ec- economy. So we're looking at also how can we use our art? Mm. How can arts and culture move the country forward mm. how can it end funds for our country so basically for us artists we are working hard we are mm. researching on it we're looking towards it that's why we decided to do a bit of international exhibition and begin to seek for international exposures mm. to see how we can you know also end and do something for our country through our arts. Can you elaborate more on mm-hmm. what exactly as an artist are you doing um, to help the country move forward and unite the people of Nigeria? You mentioned having this international exhibition. Yes. What exactly um, are you doing? I like I like the word you use, unite. Like in our association now, you have all the tribes of Nigeria. They're all in our association. So basically when we come for exhibition, like the way we have come now, 
Nobody's saying I'm Igbo, I'm Yoruba. I'm not, I'm not even thought about that. Just now you're saying it. All of us are one. We are representing Nigeria. We're working towards the same purpose. We're working towards the same goal. We have the same mindset. We're working together, encouraging each other going forward. So basically, if we as artists think like that, think as one, then we project the country as one. Then the people that are looking at it are trying to um, appreciate our works. We begin to think like that. On terms of economy, for some time now, maybe the last year, this year, um, I think about two, three, three, about two, three Nigerian artists have earned millions in art. There's a lady artist in Jideka, um, Akunyel Crosby. Her art sold last year three point something million dollars. Then this year again, three point something million pounds. So it's a way of earning for the people. You know, when you're empowered, automatically the country is empowered. Mm. So we're looking at four we artists uniting together, coming together, doing our things together, so that like that we can have a united uh, front, move the country forward. And surely when we reflect on Nigeria, there are also positive things that can be highlighted. What comes mm. to mind? So a lot of positive things. A lot of things, the women, um, the, the, they are projecting the women forward. You know, in time past, Women were kind of sidelined, the girl child, you know, ignored. But the, the, the present government, they are bringing it, you know, like a kiss in the front burner. We have the women are taking part seriously in politics, in agriculture, in the, the, uh, trying to grow the economy of the country. So the women folks are not being sidelined anymore. They are being involved in things where we are part of decision makers and that is helping. That is a very major thing because in the time past when a woman talks it's like they shove you to one side but it's no more like that in my country. Here they are, we are given opportunities, the same opportunities they give to men they give to us. The same respect they give to men they give to us. That is a very major milestone for women. For this new um, political um, 2019 elections, a lot of women are getting involved. In fact, people gather together, pick a woman, say, go represent us. So it's a very, it's a huge milestone and it's a very good uh, thing for Nigeria. Then secondly, the girl-child issues have been you know, looked into. In fact, it's a major thing now. They are really looking into it. It's there, mm. staring at them on the face and they are working on it, working it out. And economically, of course, we're trying. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I know mm. we'll get there. That is Chinze Ojobo, who is president of the Female Arts Association of Nigeria, talking to Jane Rabotata. 17.30 Central African Time on Elenzinti has your news headlines. Cameroon President Paul Beer claims to have successfully pushed the militant group Boko Haram beyond Cameroon's borders. South Sudanese President Salvaqir orders the release of all prisoners of war and political detainees. And U.S. First Lady Melania Trump heads to Africa on a five-day four-country tour. Channel Africa News, I am on
South Sudan's President Salva Kiir has issued a decree ordering the release of political detainees and prisoners of war. Already more than 10 of them have been released, but their names are yet to be announced. But military spokesperson for Riek Machar says the rebel leader's spokesperson, James Gadet, sentenced to death for plotting to topple Kiir, has not been released together with several others. James Shemanyula reports. President Salva Kiir's order for the release of political detainees and the prisoners of war conforms with the clauses of the new peace agreement that he signed with the rebel leader Riek Machar. Salva Kiir used a presidential decree to free the detainees and the prisoners of war. In this context, he directed the chief of the defense forces to release the detainees and the prisoners of war under the supervision of the International Red Cross. The release of the detainees and political prisoners is one of the steps that opposition leaders and rebel leader Riek Machar have been waiting for since the new agreement was signed. Welcoming the release of the detainees and the prisoners of war, Riek Machar's military spokesman Gabriele Paul Lam expresses happiness but complained that dozens of detainees supporting rebel leader Riek Machar remain held and that James Gadet, Machar's spokesman, is one of them. Gadet was sentenced to death by a court in Juba. Though it comes late, but I say it's something that will come it. It's a very good one. But we're interested to see how the chief of staff will get engaged in releasing political detainees because he is in charge. I know there's a two category of people there that need to be released is the prisoners of war, which is directly under chief of staff, and also have the political detainees who may be taken by other organized forces. But also we hope that the chief of staff will execute the order of the president because we have seen such orders before, and sometimes its implementation is done partially. So it's not only the government that we ask to do that, but also we ask the other armed groups, if they're holding prisoners of war and, and political detainees, let them release them. Edmond Nyakani, executive director of the Community Empowerment for Progress Organization, which is associated with the country's activists, says so far there are no statistics to show the total number of political detainees and prisoners of war. He thinks that there is no transparency in the process of releasing the detainees and prisoners of war. Yakani zeroes in on why he's sticking to transparency. The reason why we're asking for transparency is that up to now there's been no clear statistics in terms of how many prisoners of war exist within uh, these parties or how many political detainees are actually in some of these prisons. David Kolok, executive director of a local non-governmental organization known as Foundation for Democracy, Accountability and Governance, says apart from releasing political detainees and prisoners of war belonging to dozens of opposition groups and other rebel forces, those that were detained for supporting main rebel leader Riek Machar must also be freed. What we want to see is to ensure that all political detainees under the custody of all these guys, whether a transitional government of national unity or all the parties that are yet to come to Juba, need to be released. That was David Kolok, Executive Officer of South Sudan Foundation for Democracy, Accountability and Governance. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
It is 17.34 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. Tweet us on Channel Africa 1. Now ahead of the day of the Girl Child Commemorations on the 11th of October, Zimbabwe through a government-owned telecommunications entity, Telwan, on Monday launched a Queenmaker's Girl Mentorship Program. The program seeks to support and empower young girls in secondary schools in various skills including information and communication technology. For the next 12 months, 200 girls countrywide will go through a series of empowerment topics at a time when a high number of girls in rural communities are dropping out of school owing to poverty. Simon Machema reports from Harare. According to the United Nations, the world has 1 billion young people 600 million of whom are adolescent girls. These will enter the workforce in the next decade, of which 90% of those living in developing countries will work in the informal sector where law or no pay, abuse and exploitation are common. As such, Zimbabwe through a government-owned telecommunication establishment, Tel1, on Monday launched a girls' empowerment program aimed at imparting ICT skills onto young girls. For the next 12 months, 200 disadvantaged girls from various secondary schools countrywide will be equipped with empowerment skills. Founder and director of Queen Makers, Nyarazo Viki Mavindidze, had this to say on the launch of the empowerment program. The girl child has a great opportunity that a lot of women in our generation have not had. And what we're doing is we're paying it forward and empowering another girl so that they have a greater success, so that they stand on our shoulders and are able to do greater than we've done. A lot of things 40 years ago when we were born, these things were not there. But now we're, we're actually empowering the girl child as women. We're not waiting for men or other spaces, but we're saying we as women will empower our own, uh, our own children. We'll bring them up. We'll give them a different view of the, of, of the world. We'll get them to stand on our, on our, on our shoulders to be able to, to, do, to do greater than we've done before. The launch on Monday took place 10 days ahead of the Day of the Girl Child, Nyarazo explained. Yes, it's a deliberate attempt. Initially, Queen Maker's Day is actually on the 19th of September every year. But because we have um, the commemoration of the girl a child in, on the 11th of October, we then have deliberately moved to, to this one October so that we run the program in that space as well. Various skills that includes leadership development, financial literacy, grooming and etiquette, sexual reproductive health, and ICT will be trained Melody Harry, till once head of corporate communication, said. You know what? In the era that we are getting into, we talk about um, internet being the driver of almost everything. When you have access to information, this is how you can view the world. So we want those girls to have this basic access and understanding of firstly, the use of ICTs themselves. Secondly, social media etiquette, for example, this can be life-changing. Life it can even destroy their lives if they are not groomed or handheld into understanding the, uh, the pros and cons. So that's one component of the ICT that will impart to the girls. And also what we think is very important as an ICT company ourselves is to expose these girls to careers in ICT. So those are the three things that we think in terms of ICT we are going to focus on. As you know, it's a, it's a broad subject. We can't tackle everything, but we'll focus on the three. Beneficiaries of the Queen Makers Girls Mentorship Program spoke to Channel Africa and had this to say. And I uh, want to thank 
the ladies who have been teaching us how to stand as a woman, how to be a, pro a prosperous lady, no matter how the situation may be, your background, being able to stand for yourself. To me it's a very big deal because as you can see there are big people who have achieved great things. Being amongst them, being spending the time with them shows that this is a great opportunity because it teaches me to a lot like I've already learned that you should never give up like I shouldn't limit myself I should be who I am I think this is making to groom me as a young lady how to behave myself or to conduct myself on the internet and also I think I'm going to gain a lot from this because there are older people who have achieved something in life so I'm going to learn a lot about how a woman can stand for herself and achieve her dreams. Meanwhile, Zimbabwe is experiencing a school dropout of young girls owing to poverty such that 130,000 were recorded in 2017. Poor parents are forced to marry off at least 31% of the country's young girls before they attain the legal age of majority. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchewa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. 1740 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now today marks International Day of Older Persons. This year, the day is celebrated under the theme Celebrating Older Human Rights Champions. Kumutumopulani has this one. According to the United Nations, almost 700 million people are now over the age of 60. By 2050, 2 billion people which is over 20% of the world's population, will be 60 years and older. The increase in the number of older persons will be the greatest and the most rapid in developing countries, with Asia as the region with the largest number of older persons and Africa facing the largest proportionate growth. The International Day of Older Persons aims to raise awareness of the impact of aging population and the need to ensure that people can grow old with dignity and continue to participate in society as citizens with full rights. The day is also an opportunity to focus on issues that affect the aged such as dementia and abuse. Many senior citizens are victims of abuse and crime and are often unaware of their rights or how to enforce them. Older persons also make major contributions to society through volunteer work and often helping their families with caring responsibilities and participating in paid labor force. In many parts of the African continent, many AIDS patients and often children are often left behind to be looked after by their grandparents. The theme for this year seeks to reflect on the progress and challenges of older persons and engage broad audiences across the world and mobilize people for human rights. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Komoto Mupulani in Johannesburg.
Remember to write to us on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter or info at channelafrica.co.za or an email. That's info at channelafrica.co.za. Attention to our listeners. The first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. He was not there as a father to see us grow up, to give us advice and guidance, but he would do it through letters. Nonetheless, darling, I'm glad to note that you're adjusting yourself and trying to be happy all the same. He never missed a birthday. He would always send you a card with a message. I felt tremendous when I read the lines a nice place after all. As long as you have an iron will, darling, you can turn misfortune into advantage, as you yourself say. In tribute to our democratic founding father. Wazana Matabula is in studio. Here's your economic news. Good evening. Thanks, as Pumelele. Zimbabwe's economy will grow faster than expected in 2018 from an estimate of 4.5% to 5%. This is the new government implements reforms to kickstart growth that has languished for more than two decades. Reserve Bank Governor John Mangunja in his first post-election MPC said rebalancing the economy will require painful measures. He's announced a plan to separate local and foreign currency bank accounts and a new tax on goods trucks as part of measures to ease the shortage of U.S. dollars since the country dumped its own currency in 2009. And the value of assets managed by South Africa state-owned pension fund, the PIC, rose by 8.6% in the year to March 2018, supported by a diversified investment strategy. The PIC manages pensions of civil servants and is Africa's biggest pension fund. Its assets under its custody grew to $147 billion U.S. dollars. The PIC, which has major stakes in some of South Africa's largest companies as well as other investments in sub-Saharan Africa, has come under fire this year after an opposition party alleged that its CEO misused funds and made careless investment decisions. And the United States and Canada have reached a last-minute deal on revising the North American Free Trade Agreement, which also includes Mexico. It is the outcome of negotiations initiated by President Donald Trump, who considered the original arrangement unfair to the U.S. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. 
There are several changes that President Trump wanted. It'll be more difficult for car makers to use components and materials from outside the area, from China for example, if they're to transport vehicles tariff-free into the US. Farmers in the US will have better access to Canada's highly regulated dairy market. For its part, Canada has assurances that it will be protected if the US imposes new tariffs on car imports. The agreement will have to be approved by the US Congress before it comes into force. The expected uh, steeper hikes in fuel prices could have a negative impact on South Africa's food production. Farmers will be starting with their planting this month. Agricultural economist Wandile Sitlobo says the increase will also push up the cost of transportation of grains to silos and factories. The increase in, in fuel prices will affect the agricultural sector largely uh, in two ways. On the one hand, uh, through the, the summer crop planting uh, activity, uh, the planting season has just started now in this month and they will be carrying out throughout until probably December or early January. So that increases will add pressure on, on farmers on that angle. But we do have also farmers that will still be moving grain in between farms and silos and also silos to the consumption points. And you bear in mind that roughly about 75% or so of South African grain is transported by road so that will add pressure as well and all of that could be translated to some extent to consumers. To Sudan now where the central bank will start printing 100 pound bank notes uh, for the first time to ease a liquidity crisis exacerbated by rampant inflation. Sudan's economy has been struggling since uh, the South seceded in 2011, taking with it three quarters of oil output. In recent months, local currency liquidity at commercial banks had dried up. The previous largest uh, bank note in Sudan was £50. At over 60%, Sudan's inflation rate is among the world's highest. Financial indicators now, the dollar trading at 10.44, Botswana Pula, 12.21, Zambian Kwacha, BRICS currencies, the dollar at 4.05, Brazilian Real, 65.5, Russian Rubu, 72.3, Indian Rupee, 6.9, Chinese Yuan, and 4.1, South African Rand. Also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 86 cents against the euro. Commodities market uh, gold uh, trading at $1,189, platinum $811 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $83.26 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Thanks very much, Usain. It is now time for Sports News. Here's Mosibur Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, Bafana Bafana head coach Stuart Baxter has made seven changes to the team that is going to face Menos, the Seychelles, in two 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers this month. Now, Bafana Bafana hosts the Islanders in the first game on the 13th of October at the FNB Stadium and travel to the Seychelles for the second game in Victoria on the 16th of October. With a history of not doing well against the so-called small teams, Baxter seems a concerned man. So going into this game, we've got to show steel, we've got to show professionalism, and we've got to take the six points. And I think if we do, if we do, if we do show that, then we will take six points. If we don't, there's banana skins out there everywhere. 
Look at the Premier League, look at the, the Spanish League, look at the World Cup. Banana skins are everywhere. So we need to make sure that we're professional enough to make sure that we, we take these six points. Meanwhile, the Seychelles have already lost 5-1 to Libya away and 3-0 to Nigeria at home, respectively. They are the whipping boys of Group E. It should also be noted that CAF doesn't use goal difference, but head-to-head with only the top two teams in each group, making it to the AFCON next year in Cameroon. Baxter, who has lost 4-1-2 and drawn one of his official matches so far, cautions against looking down at the opposition. I don't think there's anybody here that really thinks that historically we've been good at playing against the so-called smaller nations. Uh, That said, I don't think any of us, you, me, the players, did ourselves any favours by trying to label Cape Verde as one of the smaller nations, given the the amount of players they have played abroad and, and their record. Uh, in all humility, we probably made a mistake there and, tr- and trod on that banana skin well and truly. Meanwhile, Asamoah Gyan has been recalled to the Ghana squad for the upcoming 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers against Sierra Leone. Gyan, who is Ghana's all-time leading goal scorer, missed the Black Star surprise 1-0 loss to Kenya in September. The 32-year-old has only played twice this season for his Turkish club and is yet to score. Ghana hosts Sierra Leone on the 11th of October and travel to Freetown to face the same opponents four days later. Meanwhile, there's still no place on coach Kwesi Apia's list for the IU brothers, that is Andre as well as Jordan. On to rugby news, the Springboks remain fifth on the official World Rugby rankings following their 23-12 win over the Wallabies in Port Elizabeth. Now South Africa gained a fraction over six-tenths of a rating point for a win and remain in fifth place, while Australia stay seventh, still 2.74 points better off than France. The All Blacks retain the rugby championship title and their number one spot with a 35-17 win over ninth-placed Argentina. This past weekend. And finally, in golf news, triumphant um, European Ryder Cup captain Thomas Bjorn says his 12 players have made his job an easy one during a weekend in which they comprehensively outplayed the United States and France. While Francesco Molinari and rookie Tommy Fleetwood were Bjorn's top dogs, winning four points as a pair, every member of the team contributed to the tally as Europe regained the trophy they lost back in Hazleton back in 2016 with a 17.5 to a 10.5 win on Sunday. His four picks, that is Sergio Garcia, Hendrik Stenson in Polta, as well as Paul Casey, earned 9.5 points. They've been amazing. Just the 12 of them has just been unbelievable. The way they bonded with each other, there were things they'd done and how they just get together and and do a, a proper job. You know, they... They were determined. They were. They just set out to do a job themselves. And for me, it was uh, it was an easy job to guide them them in that direction. They. This is sports news at the Sao. I'm back with more sports news just before 8 p.m. Central African time. This is Africa Digest.
Let's recap our top stories. Uh, Cameroon's president says he has successfully pushed the militant group Boko Haram beyond Cameroon's borders as he seeks a re-election. The case against the Ugandan MP and more than 30 others are put on hold for another two months. That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spumalele's only producer, Luyanda Maome, technical producer, Wiseman Mangaile, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. Send your emails to info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. Your WhatsApp messages must come to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven plus two seven seven six three hundred double three two seven. Tweet us on channel Africa One. We leave you with a drive by Black Coffee and David Getter.